Well, I'm excited to be with you this morning. Um, I, of course, I'm missing my wife and my four kids, but I did sleep all night last night. So <laughs> I have a, a four-year-old who wakes up at three or four in the morning every morning. She is an early riser, and um, I have to be. So anyway, I'm so glad to be with you. And I want to just say thank you on behalf of my wife and our church, Connect Church, that because of your generosity, because of your giving and going, uh, because of your church, you have made an impact on our church and our lives. And it's because of you that we're able to do all the things that God has called us to do. You guys are such a blessing to us. And we love your pastor. You guys have a gym and a pastor. And I, I'm so thankful for him and his lovely wife. And so let's give Pastor Kat and Sister Terry a big hand. We love them. So I quote Pastor Michael all the time at our church. So it's pretty awesome. If you have your Bible, uh, open it up to the book of Matthew. And I've never preached this uh, passage of Scripture before, but as I was praying about what the Lord would have me share with you, uh, he really led me to this passage of Scripture. And we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to only read, it's only about six verses. Matthew 10, verses 16 through 25. And it's Jesus telling the disciples of persecutions that would come because of them going to share the gospel. In Matthew 10, verse 16, starting in verse 16, the word of the Lord says, Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Be aware, beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak. For you will be given what to say that hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father's, father's child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes." A disciple is not above his teacher or slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they call the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your unchanging, your uncompromising word that changes us and challenges us. So, Lord, as we open your word once again, God, would you challenge our hearts? Would you Cause us to leave here transformed by the power of your word and through the moving of your Holy Spirit. God, cause our hearts to come alive again to the reality of the mission you've called us to. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I was younger, I had a family member who uh, worked as a welder. In fact, I was always fascinated by his job as a welder. I don't know if it was because I was seven or eight, and it was the idea of taking, you know, a hot, uh, you know, gun and then metal and then melding them together. Um, I was the child that started fires all the time. So, but I was always fascinated, though, by his job. But he would always tell me about this other type of welder, which was called an underwater welder. Uh, those of you who may have been in the military, they have them in the military and different things. Well, an underwater welder, what they do, you combine scuba diving with welding, and you get this dangerous occupation. 
And to me as a kid, that was fascinating. I was like, I can't believe somebody actually goes underwater and wells bridges together. And it's just amazing. Now, here's the thing. If somebody came to me right now, and as cool as I think that is, and asked me, hey, do you want to become an underwater welder? We'll pay for you to go to school. We'll teach you all the stuff to do it. I would emphatically say no, no, and no. Why? This is too hazardous for my health. In fact, I love my life too much to endanger it that much. Here's the reality for many of us. When there's hazards in life, many times the reason we don't step out into the hazard is because we love our comfort and we love our life. But the reality is we serve a God who always sends us into hazardous situations. Calling us to go oftentimes where we don't want to go, where we don't desire to go. And yet this God says, I'm going to send you into a hazardous situation because the occupation of a Christian is a hazardous one. In fact, today we're going to focus in on the hazardous, the hazard occupation of a Christian. The thing that God calls us to do is go. And he calls us to go into areas, into places that we often don't want to go to. There's hazards of the mission. In fact, when we were called to New Orleans. I told my wife, I said, you know, I really feel like God is calling us to New Orleans. And I was just waiting for her to say, baby, you just had some bad pizza. But when you have a praying wife and a wife who's seeking after the Lord and hearing from the Holy Spirit, I said, baby, I feel like God's calling us to New Orleans. And she said, yes, he is. And I said, no, the devil is lying. No. Why? Because it is a hazardous thing for me to leave my job where I was in the church that I was on staff at and, and all our friends and our house and our dog to go back to my hometown and to plant a church where only 11.5% of the people there are Christians and where everyone else is into something that is solely remotely different than Christianity. But there is hazards of the mission because the occupation is a hazardous one. When we find ourselves in Matthew 10, in the first couple of verses there, we see Jesus giving the disciples, in verse 1, a, a commission. In fact, there's, uh, of course, the Great Commission, but here is a commission to the disciples in verse number 1, and you can see it in your Bibles there, that he says, Summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over clean, unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. So Jesus gathers his 12 disciples, Peter, James, and, and John, and even Judas, who will betray him, is there. And they were going to model his ministry. They were going to go and do these things, proclaim, heal, and deliver. This is what Jesus did. And Jesus gave them authority to do these things. Now, when we're reading the scripture, we've got to know, we've got to read it in context. He's talking to his disciples here, the 12. So he gave them authority to go and do these things. He said, hey, I'm giving you the power to go and to cast out unclean spirits and all these things. And you're going to bring the kingdom of God to places where it is not wanted. In fact, the word disciple there is, can, is that gives you the picture of one who is an emissary or an ambassador of a kingdom. So Jesus was calling his disciples to bring a kingdom into a foreign land where he was saying you have authority to go. Can I tell you something? King, Kim Jong-un and whoever else has no authority over the gospel. The gospel has the power and the proclamation to go wherever the king says it should go. So therefore, no government, no city, no official can stand against the king of the universe. 
He says to them to go and declare the kingdom of God, to be sent as ambassadors to a foreign nation, a lost world, to proclaim the true king had come. Now notice the first thing he says, go to the lost house of Israel. He says, go to the people of Israel first. He, de- he tells them, don't go into Gentile towns. Don't go in any of those places. In fact, don't even take a traveling bag for you. This whole mission is going to cause you to have to trust in the Lord. The mission is hazardous because the occupation is a hazardous one. He calls them to go. They were emissaries of the kingdom, and their mission was to go and heal and deliver. But then we get to verse number 16 because this is where we find ourselves. And I believe as you read verse 16, even all the way down to verse number 40, and we won't go there. This is not only talking to the disciples then, but also the disciples that were going to come in the future. The first thing we see in verse 16 where it says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents, serpent as, and as innocent as doves. The first thing we see there is that we're sent out into dangerous places. The disciples were sent out into dangerous places. Now, Jesus makes it clear here who's doing the sending. He's the one doing the sending. He is the one with the authority. He's the one with the power. And here's the thing. We have to trust and believe that if God, who has sovereignty over the sun, the moon, and the stars in the universe, and knows every galaxy by name and every star by name, and knows the number of hairs on our heads, if he's given us authority to go, and he has sovereignty over our lives, guess what? We can go wherever he says to go. No matter how dangerous the place may seem. You know, it's interesting because there's certain streets that I've walked down and even taken mission teams down in our own city. And my wife says, man, you know, you need to be careful not walking down there. I remember one time we were walking down the street with a mission team and it was a a bunch of teenagers. And I was like, you know, walking with them and I was showing them we were sharing the gospel. And this guy then says, tells me, he has audacity to tell me, you can't come this way. This way is blocked. Only certain folks can come this way because they were kind of selling drugs and stuff like that. And, you know, here's the thing. I'm kind of crazy sometimes. And the first thought I had, I said, sir, you have no authority to tell me where I can and can't go. I am an emissary of the king. I go wherever he says to go. Now, I do walk in that kind of boldness because you have to walk in the boldness of the spirit of God. And I said, brother, I'm going right up here. And I asked him, I said, man, do you know Jesus? Do you know who Christ is? Why? Because the king has called us to go. Even where we don't want to go, even where it seems dangerous, because here's the thing, the occupation is hazardous. The scripture is clear that Jesus calls his own. The sheep are are of his pasture, and the sheep know his voice. And so the Lord sends out his sheep to where he wants them to go. See, the sheep not only follow the leading of the shepherd, but they follow the command of the shepherd as well. See, the sheep are under the authority of the shepherd. They are under the the, the sovereignty of Christ, and they go where he says to go. Now, the question would arise then, why would a good shepherd send his sheep, who he cares for, out among ravenous wolves? Doesn't that then say the shepherd doesn't care about the sheep? Well, no, it's the exact opposite. The reality is, as followers of Christ, we live in the world. We live amongst the world. Jesus saves us not to take us out of the world, but to keep us in the world, to be salt and light wherever we go. 
Because of the finished work of Christ, we're no longer a part of the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. But God calls us to go back to the darkness and go back to those who are broken and dying and give them the same hope that we have as well. In fact, the wolf in the New Testament is the symbol of the persecutor. Those who come and persecute those who proclaim Christ. In John 17 and 15, Jesus said this. He says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus promises protection. He doesn't say, I'm going to take you out of the world. He just says, look, Lord, would you protect my folks as they go? But Jesus sends us out among the wolves, among those who want to come in and be ravenous against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I give you a little hint this morning? The world is not your friend. In fact, the more and more you try to become relevant to the world and you try to water down the gospel, you're just only feeding into what the wolves want you to do. I don't have time to be relevant anymore. I just have time to be in the gospel and be full of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? God will take care of the rest. We go and we proclaim and we give the message. We don't have to water it down. We go because they're wolves are a natural part of the Christian experience. Protection from the Lord is as well. So what is this saying to us? As Jesus sends us out among the wolves, this is a natural experience for the Christian. When you face those who are wolves, when you face persecution, this is a natural byproduct of you saying, I belong to Jesus. In fact, Jesus promises it here, that you will go out as sheep among the wolves. And oftentimes you have wolves in the church who disguise, disguise themselves as sheep. In fact, Paul talks about that, that there will be wolves that will come in among you after I leave to bring and water down the gospel. But God calls us to still go. But then he gives us our attitude for where we go. He says, you should be shrewd and innocent. Because of where the disciples were being sent, Jesus gives them this wisdom on their behavior, the the shrewdness and innocence uh, that he brings together. So the serpent here is often this example in the ancient world of a picture of wisdom. He also uses the idea of a dove to illustrate the point of being innocent or peaceful. So in the midst of the disciples going, what is Jesus saying to us here? He's saying, look, you don't have to go look to be a martyr. You don't even have to go look for persecution. It will just find you. So he says, look, you just need to have wisdom on the things that you're doing. You don't even have to go look for it. It's just going to find you. So be wise in your going. Be wise in your dealings with the world. Be wise in your methods and your strategies and all these things. Use wisdom that I've given you to reach people around you. This is what God calls us to. But then he says, be innocent or live your life almost without any guile. That means as you go out into the world, as you're using wisdom and strategy to reach people, guess what? The world shouldn't be able to bring up a charge against your own life. Our own lives should be lives that give glory to God. So as we're going, the world shouldn't be able to look at us. At least if they're going to persecute us, let them persecute us for being Christians, not for living a double lifestyle. So Jesus is saying, look, as you go, look, walk in this wisdom, in this idea of knowing what you're going and what you're doing, but then live out a lifestyle that's innocent as well. Colossians 4 and 6 says it like this. It says, your speech should always be gracious, 
seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So God calls us as we go to to have seasoned speech and, and wisdom on how we deal with people. In fact, in New Orleans, I'm learning more and more, every person is so uniquely different in how they come and approach the Bible. I once had a man come to our church, and he kept coming for weeks. And then he came up to me one time after a service, and he told me straight up, he said, I don't like anything you say. I was like, wow, okay, praise God, you know. See, I don't like, I don't like the words you say. I don't like what you're doing. And he kept coming. And I'm wondering, like, why you keep coming then, like, you know. But can I tell you something what happened? A couple weeks later, as the Spirit of God was dealing with his heart and God was speaking to his life and we were using wisdom and using innocence there trying to reach him. Can I tell you something? In his house, in his room, we were sitting there amongst all the stuff in his life, all the things going on in his life, and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Christ calls us to have wisdom. And causes us to have innocence. I could have lashed out at that, brother. I could have said, man, who are you talking to? I'm the man of God, but who am I? But emissary. Use wisdom and innocence. So we don't look to be martyrs. But we also live a lifestyle that's free from sin or accusation. We live with a strategy to reach our neighborhood, our world, our co-workers. Is this how you live? Are you living as well? Are you thinking of how am I living with strategy to reach my neighbors? How am I tying into the strategy of the church as we're trying to plant churches and and meet the need? God, how are you using me and all these things and all these ways to not be a hindrance to the church, but to be a blessing to the church, to the glory of God? But Jesus goes on to say this in verses 17 and 18 is that we are guaranteed to face persecution. Look what it says in verse 17. It says, Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be even brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. So naivety or being naive is not a part of the mission. Jesus has not called his disciples to be naive about what they would face. In fact, Jesus is always upfront about what it means to be a disciple. Many times his disciples are not upfront with other folks about what it means to be a disciple. In 1 Peter 4:12, it says it like this: Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. So the wolves that Jesus is saying, he says, look, you're going to go out among them and you're going to face them. They're going to be against the gospel and they're going to be enemies of the cross of Christ. But Jesus says, look, this is going to happen. They're going to hand you over to the courts to be tried on false charges. Same way he was. They're going to flog you or beat you the same way that Jesus was. And then you're going to be brought even before governors and kings. But this is going to help you to even to bear witness of my glory before Gentiles. So God is even saying to them, hey, look, even when you get brought before kings and and all these people, that I'm going to use it for my glory. When we look back over the first century church, the second century church, third century, fourth century, they never preached the message to anyone about your best life being now because guess what? Their best life was found in suffering for the glory of the gospel. 
This is why Paul and those guys could go into a city and it could turn upside down because the world couldn't even comprehend how these people who were hated so much, loved the Messiah so much, could go out and reach a world that hated them with the message of Christ. Isn't it interesting? We can preach a message of love and still be called intolerant. We can preach a message of hope and still be called hateful. The world's not hating on you. They're hating on the message. You proclaim what Christ said, and folks are going to hate you for it. You, you want to try a quick experiment? Get on Twitter and put out marriage between a man and a woman. And watch how you have to block your tweets. Watch how the most tolerant of folks begin to come at you because you said God loves every person. Why? Because they hate the message of the gospel. Here's the thing. Our best life is found living and losing our own. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 25. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What if the joy that you're really seeking for in this life is literally giving up your own? What if the satisfaction you're seeking after in your finances would be literally to give it over to the Lord and say, God, however you want to use my treasure, my time, my resources, you can use it for your glory. But this calls a denying of yourself. To say, God, you know what? Instead of me pouring more money into Netflix and Hulu and all these things, God, maybe I need to get rid of those things and give over those resources to the work of the kingdom of God. Maybe instead of me buying my latest, greatest boat or my latest, greatest thing, I can say, God, you know what? Those things don't make or break me. But you know what I want to do? I want to live for your kingdom. So, Lord, here's my treasure. Here's my time. And I want to use it to the fullest for the glory of God. You know that testimony Pastor Michael shared about the gentleman who passed away and then it still gave to the work of the Lord. That's somebody who said, my life is sold out for the gospel. Jesus is saying, look, persecution that will come can even be used for my glory. The reality is nothing can stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verses 19 and 20, we see that not only is God calling us to go, not only is persecution going to happen, but God's Spirit leads us through it. God's Spirit leads us through it. In verse 19 and 20, it says, but when they hand you over. Notice he says, not if, but when. When they hand you over. When folks start talking about you. When your coworkers don't want to hang out with you anymore because they know you follow Jesus. When your family starts saying that you're crazy because you're going to church and you're living your life for the glory of God. When folks says, you know, hey, you came to faith in Christ, maybe you're crazy and we need to put you in a mental institution. Oh, yeah, that really happened to me. When folks don't understand your love for the Messiah and when they turn you over, Jesus gives us a promise here. He says, don't worry about how or what you are to speak. For you be given what to say that hour because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. So God's spirit is even with us through persecution. We're never alone. 
Even when we don't know what to say, even when we don't know what to do, God's Spirit speaks through us. As the disciples were going through and being sent out on this mission, Jesus says, look, you're going to be handed over and face situations that you never thought you would. Acts 1.8 says it like this, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be what? My witnesses. My witnesses. For some of us, maybe God is placing you in certain circumstances you never thought you would face, and now you have to live out the gospel. And now you have to tell people about Jesus, and you're like, I don't know what to say. But yet Jesus said you shouldn't be concerned about what to say or how to say it because the Spirit of God will speak through you. Do you get the context that Jesus is saying here? Who is he talking to here? He's talking to his disciples. And who were his disciples? Many of them were unlearned men. Many of them who maybe they hadn't studied as long and didn't know as much things. But Jesus says, you know what, that's not going to make or break you. It is my spirit that you're leaning on that will give you the words to say. So when you're walking through your neighborhood or you're encountering your Muslim neighbor like I do and my Muslim neighbor who lives right across the street from me and comes into my house and hangs out and he calls me his children's uncle, which is really weird, but it's, it's, it's all good. And he asks me stuff that I sometimes don't know the answer to. Who am I leaning on? Jesus. I'm leaning on the Spirit of God to give me the right words to say. Not my own self. Not my own strength. But the reality is most of us in the church have gotten away from leaning on the Spirit of God. We lean on our intellectual ability to know all these facts When the reality is our leaning should be on the Spirit of God. Now, this doesn't mean we don't prepare. This doesn't mean we don't study. This doesn't mean we don't get in the Scripture. But it does mean that we're leaning and trusting in the Spirit of God to lead us. Maybe you feel inadequate to stand on the truth. Maybe you feel inadequate to go on a mission trip. You say, man, if I go on a mission trip, what are people going to say? What if I get somewhere and folks ask me something and I don't have the answer to? Guess what? Jesus says you don't even have to worry because I'll speak through you. You know what this tells me? It's impossible to fail when you step out on faith and trust God. We have no excuse. You say, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Jesus just told you not to worry. He'll give you the right words to say, and he'll use you if you're willing to say, God, I want to lean on the Spirit of God. You think about Stephen in the book of Acts, who was a man who was just full of the Spirit of God, proclaiming Christ, and he was stoned for it. But he was leaning on the power of God. And as he was being stoned, he saw Jesus being lifted up. Could we have more people like that today? To say the hazardous conditions, the hazardous of the, the hazards of the mission, don't stop us. But Jesus says, you still go. You're guaranteed to face opposition. In verse 24 and 25, <clears throat> we are going to be identified with Jesus. Verse 24 says, A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they call the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Because we're guaranteed to face 
opposition. Because we're guaranteed to walk through all these things, Jesus says, you know what, you're going to be identified with me. For many followers of Christ around the world, this is their reality. This is their reality. We don't see it as much in our country, although sometimes we try to say there is persecution, like, for example, people not saying Merry Christmas. you telling me Jesus is in heaven, wringing his hands because people are not saying Merry Christmas? People are dying and going to hell. Do we get that? No. What is real persecution? It's when you go, therefore, to preach the gospel and people come against it because of the message you're preaching. We're hated because of him. But our love for Jesus propels us forward. Jesus said, look, even in the verses before this, when you experience persecution in one town, you just go to the next. You keep pressing on. Why? Because there's a great reward for enduring on. My most fruitful time as a Christian was when I worked at an insurance company. You know why? Because every day folks are coming there who were not saved, who didn't know Jesus, who just came out of prison, who all these things. And I, I witnessed my coworkers all these things. Man, many times people didn't like it, but God was glorified. Jesus says, look, you're going to be identified with me the moment you proclaim to be a follower of Christ, to live out a Christian life. You're going to be seen just like he is seen. Think about it. Jesus preached love all the time and was hated by everybody. Why in the world do you think we're going to be liked by everybody? I think Christians think we're supposed to be just liked by everyone, but the reality is you just won't be. People won't like you all the time. And if you're proclaiming Christ and him crucified, some people will hate you for it. Now, it doesn't mean we go out and we're being jerks or anything like that, but it's the reality of the message that we preach the message of Christ and him crucified. Jesus said a disciple is not above his master. So as a follower of Jesus, we're going to be treated just like Jesus. But here's what we really want. Can I be honest with you? And when I say we, I'm talking about myself. We want all the blessings that come from a relationship with Jesus. We want heaven. We want the blessings of provision. We want everything. God, we want your hand, and we want, your, we want all these things. But, Lord, spare me with the persecution stuff. Lord, I don't want to be pressed in my finances to give more. I don't want to be pressed to go more. Jesus, I want like a half. You save the other half. But Jesus says, no, when you get me, you get the whole pie. You get all the things that I give you, and persecution may be a part of that as well. Jesus told us not to even count the cost, to count the cost of following him and to pick up our cross and not look back. Since the disciple was expected to be like his servant, as the disciple was, couldn't be greater than his master, and since servants were considered part of the household, whatever accusers could call the head of the house, they would call the servants even more. When is the last time you've been put down, talked about, mistreated because you were following Jesus? Or is the reality no one really knows you follow him at all? There is a secret church. 
It is in China. There are other plays in Uzbekistan and different places where they can't publicly profess their faith. We're not at that place yet here. God is calling us to go even into the hazardous places to proclaim Christ and Him crucified. You know, here's the thing. There's no excuse. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. All the, are you using all those things for the glory of God? Even in your workplace, even in your community, God calls us to go even where it's hazardous for the glory of God. Do people recognize you as being of the household of Jesus? Well, you say, well, you know what? They know about my lifestyle. You know, they see I don't smoke, I don't cuss, I don't hang out with people who do, you know, that kind of thing. They don't need to hear my words. Imagine if Jesus said, I'm not going to proclaim Christ. I'm not going to proclaim the kingdom. I'm going to keep it quiet. No, people need to hear that Jesus saves still. People need to hear from you that how you were born again and what he's done in your life. Here's the reality of this. The hazard of the call may be great, but our God is greater. And our reward is greater, and the call is greater. Have you answered the call this year to go where the hazards are great, to live out the mission of God to his glory no matter the cost? Here's the thing. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing. It's nothing special about my wife, nothing special about us. Us going to New Orleans is, you know, people say, man, that's so awesome. I'm like, man, really, it's nothing to be lauded about. Well, I don't feel that way. We just surrendered to what God wanted us to do for our life. The moment I said to the Lord, God, whatever you want me to do and wherever you want me to go, I'll go, that's when doors begin to open up for me to live out a life for his glory. Is it always easy? No. There's many a days where I'm discouraged. There's many times where I try to reach somebody and they reject the gospel message. There's many times where I walk in a neighborhood or around a block and I see young people and they're caught in sin and they're caught in other religions and they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus and they reject what we're, we're trying to pr proclaim to them. Yes, it gets discouraging. Yes, it gets hard. Yes, there's times we walk around and we see drug deals that are going on. And yes, there's times we walk around neighborhoods where people are in affluent and living in, with $100,000 homes and all these kind of things and all these things are going on. And yes, people reject the gospel. Yes, the hazards are great but our God is greater. And here's the reality. God has called me to go. So I say, God, whatever you want, I'll go. You know why? Because I remember when I was in darkness. I remember when I didn't know how to find my way out of a wet brown paper bag. I remember when I couldn't see. I remember when I was lost and I didn't know about the love of God. But I remember the day I encountered Jesus Christ. I remember the day my eyes were open and I encountered the Savior, the Messiah. I remember the moment that I, I saw the beauty of Jesus and that my sin was great, but his love was greater. I remember when I came from darkness into light and my life was radically changed from that point on. So you guess what? Somebody can tell me not to go, but guess what? I can't help it. Because God has been just that good. And if I don't go, guess what? I'm saying the gospel really hadn't changed me. But when you encounter the Savior, 
the one who brings you from darkness to light and says, I know your name and I loved you while you were in sin. Come to me and he cleanses you and he washes you and he calls you as a son and daughter of his kingdom. And he says, now I sing you out as an ambassador, as one who's going to go and proclaim this. Guess what? I can't help but to go because his love has wrecked my life. So yes, the hazard is great, but my God is greater. Can we go to the Lord in prayer? There's two types of people in this room. There's one that you've not experienced a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That you have not come to know him as Savior and Lord, and you're on the outside. You say, well, I'm a a child of God. Well, no, that's not true. You were created in the image of God. But to be a truly a child of God is to be born again. It's to place your faith and trust in Christ alone as Savior. And you say, I'm trying to go into 2017. I want this year to be awesome. Well, maybe today could be your day where you start to say, I'm giving up my old life, and I'm following Jesus to a new life. As the pastors are going to come forward, maybe you need to take a step of faith to move out to say, Jesus, I want to live for you, not myself. I want to live for you, not myself. Can we all stand? Father, I pray that those who have not yet placed their faith and trust in you, you would touch their hearts. You would draw them to you by your grace and mercy. That, Lord, they would see their life can be bigger because you are greater. God, I pray you move in the hearts and lives of those who need to be on mission for you. God, we give you thanks. We give you praise. If you need to come, come now. Meet with one of these pastors. Find hope, find healing, find restoration. Place your trust in the Savior this morning. Don't put it off. Say yes to the one who came for you, in Jesus' name.